But we sang a song a little bit earlier, uh, I was made to live for you. I was made to live for you. You know, I was thinking this week about today's subject, and um, I know there are some in churches, uh, especially around America, where folks don't come on Sunday like this Sunday because of the subject matter. And the, the, quite frankly, the subject matter that we're going to speak about today was, is for the most part in the pastor's call. Uh, it's a decision that I have to make which subjects uh, that I bring forward uh, or that I encourage to be brought forward through our staff and the, those who speak and stand behind this pulpit. So you can point the finger at me that this is a, uh, an emphasis upon uh, sanctity of human life. Uh, because I believe God has ordered it so, and so I unashamedly bring it to you. I'm going to bring it to you in the uh, sweetest and uh, most kind-hearted spirit that I know how to do. But as we all know, it's not an easy subject to talk about. And so I was thinking about the subject this week, and I'm going to take you into a, a simple, a simple kind of backdrop for us to kind of pull these things together. Uh, today And so at first you're going to think, well, tell me something I didn't know, but please just be patient with me for a moment. I'm actually heading somewhere. But I, I, I started thinking about this week that every baby born in the world, think about it this way, starts at zero. Now, I don't mean zero seconds, minutes, uh, hours, days, so on and so forth. I'm not talking about that kind of a zero. I mean, have you ever thought about it from the standpoint of knowledge? Every baby, from the standpoint of knowledge, what, what they have in their little brains, they start at zero. At birth, there's a timeline of knowledge that begins. And so if we were to go all the way back to uh, the beginning of this book, uh, we, it's, a, it's a Bible for those of you who are listening and uh, are not able to see the uh, video image, if we go all the way back to the first child born to Adam and Eve, anybody remember his name? First child born to Adam and Eve? Cain. Cain, thank you. One person got it right. Thank you. That first little baby started at zero knowledge of the world. Zero and the last baby born, and I haven't checked at Marion General Hospital, but the last baby born, even as late as this morning, uh, January 21st, 2018, has a little brain that is starting at the same place Adam and Eve's cane started, namely at zero knowledge in that little brain of the world. Now, it's an incredible thing that every baby starts at zero to me, but there's a huge difference, as you might imagine, between the knowledge database, a data bank that Cain would have had access to versus the data bank of knowledge and information that a baby born at Marion General Hospital or anywhere around the world this very morning has. It's incredible that every baby starts at zero, but the difference between the databases between Adam's Cain and the babies born today is that there's so much more limitation to Cain. And the potential and the difference between the two, it's actually amazing if you think about it. From science, to technology, to medicine, to even things we understand better about human behavior, today's child has so many advantages in terms of the knowledge databank. 
But the fact that Adam's child has to learn and the fact that today's child has to learn makes them the same. They both start at zero base. And as I was thinking about that, I got to thinking about, well, how do we learn? How do we learn about the world? How do we learn about life? How do we, how do we put knowledge into our little brains since we start at zero and the clock starts ticking and we start taking things into our little brains? So they either learn, these little babies start at zero, they either learn from personal experience as they get older, or they can learn and put things in their little brains by listening to someone's testimony about anything, about something that happened in their life, or they can look at something instructive, like, like a map. Maybe, maybe as Cain was growing up, uh, uh, you know, his parents drew him a little map about don't go outside this boundary uh, because it's dangerous out there, or uh, you might get lost, or whatever. Uh, we can learn from a map, or we can learn from a picture, or we can add to our knowledge database later on in life by something as wonderful as a book, any book. We learn, and thus the data bank of life's accumulated knowledge begins. And it begins to become infused into these little minds that all started at the same place, no matter where we are in history, at zero. Everybody starts life at zero when it comes to knowledge. Now, I'm making that obvious statement for a reason. So I want to give you a couple of a question, at least one question to start. How does any person who starts at zero know anything about God? If we're starting at zero and there's nothing in there from infancy, how does any baby, and as they grow and get older, know anything about God? And the answer has to be something like this, that God either had to speak knowledge into their little zero knowledge brain, he had to speak to them, or he gave information to someone like Moses or Peter or Paul who eventually spoke it and possibly, and we know this to be a fact, wrote it down or someone wrote it down for them and it was passed on to others. That's how little zero knowledge-based brains get information about God. And that written database of knowledge about God and the world, we call that the Bible. Most of you brought one in with you, smartphone or physically. And it is the Bible that has information about God. It is the Bible that has information about the world. It is the Bible that has information about the will of God in it for these little brains that are starting from zero information. And so God comes to this zero knowledge brain, speaks information about himself and the world into that little brain, and then he or she knows something about God. And then God chooses some people to teach what he's told them or to write down some information that he's given them about God and the world, and he tells them, write it down. Get it in print, so to speak, and the uninformed little brain reads it, gets educated about God and the world. Now, let me give you a quote from Answers in Genesis about this book. Now, some of this, many of you already know, but it needs to be reaffirmed on a Sunday like this Sunday. 
And some of you were not raised in, a, in an atmosphere where you were early. Your little zero brain that started out at zero did not get a whole lot of information about God and about the world from his perspective. Everybody comes from a different background. So we have people here who know just about every, maybe everything and more than what I'm going to tell you this morning. And we have people who have bits and pieces. And we have some people who are saying, I didn't know any of that. And so that's what we're doing here this morning, making sure that if there's anybody who says, I didn't know any of that growing up, then you, you need to be informed. So here's a quote from Answers in Genesis just about the Bible. Quote, the Bible was written over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors from three continents who wrote in three different languages. These facts alone make the Bible one of a kind, but there are many more amazing details that defy natural explanation. Shepherds, kings, scholars, fishermen, prophets, a military general, a cupbearer, and a priest all penned portions of the scripture. They had different immediate purposes for writing, whether recording history, giving spiritual and moral instruction, or pronouncing judgment. They composed their works from palaces, prisons, the wilderness, and places of exile while writing history, laws, poetry, prophecy, and proverbs. In the process, they laid bare their personal emotions, expressing anger, frustration, joy, and love." Unquote. Now, in case you're wondering, what were those three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic? If you're wondering what three continents, Africa, Europe, and Asia. You can, you can study the Bible and understand these things about it. It's an unusual and amazing book. If we assume, though, and I say assume, not everybody does, but if we were to assume that the Bible is a knowledge database about God and about God's perspective about the world, and that the Bible actually does hold truth in it, then, assuming that, what does God tell us about himself and what matters to him? You know, one of the reasons why marriage matters in this world and why people take, uh, many people take a dim view of people who break apart marriage, we call that divorce and so on and so forth, is because God, in his word, said that marriage is special to him. He likes it that way. So that's why there's this little taboo thing about divorce and, and marriage breaking apart. And so the church, as we study God's word, need to lift up the value of covenant relationship because that is, that is how God has related to mankind down through history, through covenant relationship. And so marriage is a picture of that. There are many pictures of God's desires in the word. And that's why we hold up certain things as as important, not by way of judgment and not by way of condemnation or not by way of just trying to have our own way or our own opinions. It's because this book that we believe holds truth tells us God's pleasure about himself, about the world, 
and how we are to live and how we are to think about things. And so that is where we find ourselves this morning, taking the words of God, educating our minds that started at zero, all of us started at the same place, according to the information that he has given us in the Bible. Now, because every child starts at zero information about God, they have to be told about him or they have to read about him. And so that is exactly why if you come to this church, you'll find that there's emphasis on reading through the Bible in one year. Personally, I don't care if you read through it five times in a year. I don't care if you take five years to read it through. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me as a spiritual instructor and leader is that you recognize the importance of reading this because it contains truth about the database we all need to have. And that is, what is God like? What does God like? What does God require of me? What might I expect by way of help from time to time? What might I expect by way of the future when I die? It's, it's all that and more is in here. So the best place for that to happen, let me just suggest, is in the home. The best place for that knowledge bank, that knowledge base, to get instilled in a little brand new little baby, little zero brain information, the best place for that to begin is in the home. Can I get an amen on that? That's the best place. Assuming mom and dad know something about what this book says. That's not always the case. The best place is the home. Some parents, though, don't know much about God. And sometimes parents, they give birth to a child, and God forbid, sometimes the parents die early. They're in a tragic accident or a disease or something happens and the parents are, don't have influence in their child's life. Or, or they've been taught, some of the parents have been taught false truth, false doctrine about God and about what God thinks about the world. And so, so some, some kids that come out of that kind of background, they have problems. And they don't understand things. They need to be corrected. They need to be straightened out. They need to be educated. Their little zero brains are just open like a sponge. And somebody needs to put the right stuff in there. Now, the next best place for a child who starts with a zero knowledge base to learn about God and God's perspective about the world is in the church, where people who have read God's word who have studied it, who have prayed and asked God to give them wisdom and instruction about how to apply it and all, the, all that sort of thing, can help educate the little zero brains about God and the world. Where do you think all those little ones went when we were finished with the service? They all got up, said the kids can be dismissed to the children's ministry. What are they doing in there? They're educating these little zero knowledge-based brains about God and about the things that matter to God. And the things that will help them navigate through their lives because we don't know if all these little ones come from a home where mom and dad know about God, know what this book says. Many of them don't. Some of them, of them come on our vans and our buses and on Wednesday nights. They, <coughs> excuse me, they come from homes where they get nothing. They, you can tell because they come in here like, like wild animals sometimes. They don't know how to treat the house of God. And they, they, they 
pound on the piano back there that we just tuned. And they, they don't know any better how to, how to handle themselves in, in the house of God. But we want them here. Amen? Because they don't know. No one has educated them. And sadly, little zero knowledge minds will not hear much truth about God and the world. Sadly, they will not hear much about this book and what it has to say about God and the world in our public schools. Some better than others. But if you're counting on the public school to teach them about God, you really need to pray. And you better not expect the public university to teach them very much about God. You better not count on that. And you better not count on the various cultures of the world giving much truth about the one true God. So, I said all that to say this. If the church doesn't make it available, for many children, it won't get done. So if pastors like me don't say something about this subject today and give instruction to it occasionally, how will those who came from homes who never had the instruction ever hear what God really wants for their lives and educate them and teach them and train them, let alone the children who need this? So why am I talking about uh, babies today and little brains that start with zero? base, so to speak. I love what uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul said. He's gone to be with the Lord just recently. Some of you have read his works, but let me give this quote because he explains kind of in this quote why today is an important day and why we're talking about the things we're talking about and why some of the things that uh, Brian Warner, who gave you this, the preparation for the demonstration that we all enjoyed and observed uh, was talking about. Let me just quote him. While the choice of December 25th as the anniversary of Jesus' birth is rather dubious, let me break there, no one knows for sure that it was exactly December the 25th. We all, we all kind of know that. We picked that date and we all kind of agree that's the day we're all going to agree upon. Back to the quote. We do know with certainty what happened on January 22nd 1973, which Brian talked about and which you saw on the screen. On that day, the Supreme Court handed down its decision in the case Roe versus Wade. The nine men determined that every state had the duty to give women unfettered access to abortion up until the birth of the child. It was a day whose infamy overshadows December 7th, 1941. That's Pearl Harbor, in case you don't remember that in the memory of the church in America. And since that time, perhaps as many as latest figures, 60 million, this quote has 50 million, but it's probably closer to 60 million, babies have been murdered in the womb with the full protection of the state and the knowledge of the church, unquote. Now let me just hasten to say, Pastor, I can't believe that you used that harsh word in that quote because murder is a judgmental and harsh word to use in public. It's ugly. It's an ugly word. But here's the thing. If we know what God thinks about life, that's what I want to talk about. If we understand what the Bible says God thinks about life, 
then maybe murder is a correct word. You know, we can hardly stomach reading the history, it's already been mentioned, of Nazi Germany. When people stood by and watched, they said six, some believe it's as many as eight million human beings that God created were being marched off to a gas chamber. And yet, some people, sadly, barely blink an eye at 60 million babies taken from their mother's womb since January 22, 1973. Sometimes we barely blink an eye. So, let me tell you, this is a part of what God says about this subject. God had the psalmist record for us on the subject of babies in the womb what he really thinks. So Psalm 139 is a great example. If you're taking notes, you might want to just jot this reference down. You can read more of it. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I, the psalmist, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. In other words, I had not even come out of the womb yet. And you so had me in mind that you knew the beginning and the ending even before I was birthed. Jeremiah in the Old Testament was a great prophet. You can read about him and you can read the things that he wrote. And God had Jeremiah to record something for us about himself, about his own being in the womb. Each of us has been in the womb. He, he gives Jeremiah a word about when Jeremiah was in his own mother's womb. Here's, here's what, what he said. Now, the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God speaks to Jeremiah and he informs him that God, here's four things that I see here. They're just simple things, but I see this here. I'm sure you do too. One, God forms babies. Now, we tend to think we did that, but we didn't do that. We participated in it, but it is God who forms babies. Number two, that God is intimately aware of babies. Inti did I say intimate? Intimately aware of every baby. Number three, that God has a purpose for babies. And number four, that he has assignments, he has specific duties for each baby 
to fulfill the purpose that he has for them. He has assignments. And so as, as these babies begin to grow, and they've got this zero knowledge base, and then they begin to infuse their brains with the knowledge of the world and knowledge hopefully about God and knowledge about all these things, people need to discern why has God created me? For what purpose has he created me? And are there assignments, specific assignments that he has called me to for which I need to be, I need to get in step. I need to identify it and then I need to participate with it. And then he says something interesting. He says, before you were born, I consecrated you. In the Hebrew, that word is kadash. And it means to be set apart. And so God's telling Jeremiah, before I even formed you in the womb, I had chosen by my divine sovereignty to set you apart for a purpose with an assignment. That's amazing to me. People aren't born to know that. We don't know that. Unless God informs us, unless some believer tells somebody, we don't know this. How would we know this? So God had set Jeremiah apart for this wonderful work as a prophet. My friend Jim Garlow, who pastors a Wesleyan Church in San Diego, California, uh, wrote a book, and uh, it, it's a wonderful book. But I want to take a quote from it. Um, his, his numbers, are since the book was published, are, are a bit off. But let me give this quote. Uh, he's going to say 50 million. We know that it's closer to 60 million. But here's the quote. Approximately 50 million abortions occur globally each year. That means a shocking 140,000 people are killed daily, 5,700 each hour, nearly 100 every minute, almost two every second. Approximately 1.5 million abortions occur annually in the United States of America, one of the highest rates of any developed country. That means that 4,100 babies are murdered daily in the United States, 177 every hour, three every minute. We have to wonder, with each life given a purpose from God, what might they have accomplished? What might they have accomplished that could have made this world a better place? Unquote. Now let me give you uh, four questions and some, some help in how to think uh, from, from the perspective of God's Word about some obvious questions that people ask about this subject. The first question would be, someone asked this question, well, what about if a woman is raped or if she is a victim of incest? What about that? I can't work that out in my brain. How does that work? Well, as tragic as that scenario is, the facts are that they only represent 1% of the total number of abortions. People, women who are raped or victims of incest who are impregnated and are carrying a child. That only happens to about 1% of those 60 million since 1973. And even though people are sadly victimized in this way, 
And it's very sad for anyone to be victimized by rape or incest. This is what Deuteronomy tells us in God's Word, chapter 24, verse 16. Listen to this. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. In other words, we don't take the life of a baby even though the father may deserve death. Did you catch that? That's a hard one. That's what it says. Every person is responsible for their own shortcomings before God. I'm not responsible for yours. You're not responsible for mine. We're each responsible. And the verse that we read at the beginning of the service says that God sees it all. So you think he's not watching? He sees everything. We don't take our vengeance for what an incestual parent or an evil rapist does. We don't take vengeance out on the child. That's what God says. I don't want you doing that. As ugly as that sin is, don't do that. Why? Because I made the life, and I have a purpose for that life, and I have assignments that I'm placing on that life for my pleasure. It's not about you. It's about what I want. That's what this says. Here's the second one. Think about this one. What if the child is going to be de born deformed? What about that? Now, that's gnarly. That's, that's a tough one. How, how, do you, how do you process that? Well, I can tell you that I, I know one pastor, and some of you have probably come across this story, but I know one pastor who, along with some other people, determined that they were going to go to an abortion clinic one day, and they were simply going to pray that that spirit of death and all that that goes with that, uh, that God would somehow come against that and, and that he would maybe shut that place down, give people a different mindset, teach them a better thing, whatever it is. And he said, we got, we got to the, uh, the abortion clinic and he said, we, we began to pray. And all of a sudden, he said, there was a young lady that was walking through our midst and she was obviously expecting and she was coming to that clinic for an abortion because the doctors had told her that her baby was going to be severely deformed. And so someone said to this young girl, said, ma'am, if you, if you could find a, a wonderful home that would like to receive your child, would you be willing to carry it to term? And she said, yes, I would do that. And so it took one phone call just one phone call to the right family, to the right couple, who said, we will love that child. We will give that child support, nurture, and whatever we can do to be a blessing to that child. What if the child is going to be deformed? And who makes that judgment call? God says that child is precious. Here's the third one. Well, what if the mother's life is at stake to carry the child to full term. What about that? Now, there's something about that that's just not right. You know, here's the deal. It's just like with rape and incest, only it's even, it's even worse because those situations are extremely rare. In fact, those situations constitute one-tenth of one percent of all abortions where the mother's life is at stake. One-tenth of one percent 
of all of the abortions where the mother's life may be in jeopardy. You see, both lives are valuable. And the scripture doesn't make distinction between one or the other. They both matter to God. And so what we would pray for is that the doctors and the people that are giving them care will do their very best to care for both of them. And it's extraordinarily rare to have to take the life of the child in order to save the mother. Not saying it can't happen, and it hasn't happened, but it's very rare. To pronounce a death sentence on 60 million babies over the rarity of a mother dying to give birth is unwise and twisted logic. Now here's another question. Well, what if the child just simply isn't wanted? What if they don't want a baby? What if the mother and father don't care about it and just don't want it? Well, the facts are that many couples have it in their hearts to adopt. Many other couples desire children, but they have not been able to conceive for whatever reason. There's so many wonderful homes just waiting for a child. There's a place. There's a place for unwanted children. They are standing in line. And, 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 and if you want to know how, how, how uh, committed some of these people are, you should ask them the horror stories that they have to go through of red tape and meetings and challenges to their character and references, and all, which are all good things. No one's criticizing the process. It's not an easy thing to find good, good homes. But the, the, the trouble that they are willing to go through in order to qualify to love a little child or children that are not wanted. But to make a law that permits death simply on the basis that we don't want this child, it is unwise. It is unwise. It's twisted thinking when God's word is taken into account. So... Let me, let me give you 10 conclusions. These are just mine. You know, if you haven't read this, then don't, don't criticize mine. If you've read this, then I'll be glad to talk with you. Or if you have questions, I'll be glad to talk with you. Or our staff or anybody would. But it, once you read this with an open mind, here are some conclusions that stand out to me. Number one. I have 10 of them. I'm not going to comment greatly on e either one. I see the time. Number one, the world needs to stop aborting babies. The world needs to stop it. Is there are more than three amens in this place. The world needs to stop aborting babies. Number two, people need to moral up. In other words, we need to get our moral act together as a people. I'm not talking about our church here in particular, whatever. But people in general around the world need to moral up and follow God's plan for procreation. What is that? What is his plan? What does he say about procreation? He says sexual intimacy is reserved for those in a covenant relationship that God calls marriage. That's moraling up if you care about what God says about how to raise kids, about how to be a part of the procreation process. This is what God says, and this is what the church should stand for and should teach to the world. Number three, 
all pregnancies should by default be permitted to come to term with only the rare circumstance of the mother's life at stake being a rare exception. And that happens sometimes. So people want to say, well, give me the rules, 100% chance of all the rules and regulations, whatever. You know what God says? Read my word and use some common sense. Doctors, we get down to the nitty gritty and it's time to make a decision and, and the mom is going to die and she's got three other kids waiting for her to be a mom and this child is going to have to be sacrificed. Well, then, then pray and say, God, help us make the right choice and make a choice and make a good choice. Number four. All babies deserve a home where love and care are the rule of thumb. Amen? All babies deserve that. That's what God wants for all babies, all of his children. Number five, adoption is a good thing and we need more of it. Number seven, churches should regularly preach the importance of God's holiness. I wouldn't be standing here if I wasn't concerned about God's holiness because I don't see His holiness working itself out perfectly in my life. And I don't see it being worked out perfectly in anybody else's life that I know, let alone the culture. So the church needs to continually teach what God's Word says about His holiness. Number eight, churches should show that the holiness of God prefers life, not death. The holiness of God says that He chooses life over death. Number nine, for every person, and here is why many pastors are cowled and discouraged in their own spirit, perhaps even frightened, and, and, and ca overly cautious not to talk about these subjects in the public se setting of our churches. Number nine, for every person who has participated in an abortion, you can be forgiven and healed upon acknowledgement of sin against the holiness of God. You can't just say, oh well, I'm moving on. You must say, God, I under my, my little pea brain, knowledge data bank, wasn't very educated when I did that. Or I was not in a relationship with you, Jesus, to love you and care about what you wanted for my life. And so I did what I wanted to do. And I disobeyed. I rebelled against what you wanted Whichever reason it is, for every person that's participated, you can be forgiven and healed upon acknowledgement of that sin against the holiness of God. God just wants to hear us say, look, I get it now. My little pea brain got educated. It's not a pea brain anymore. I, I understand more about you, God. And I realize what I did back then was naughty. And it hurts your heart. And, and, and whatever hurts your heart hurts my heart. So I want to tell you, I'm sorry I did it. And I, I recognize it was wrong. And, and because of my relationship with Jesus, if I've invited him to be my savior, he died for my sin, then I'm going to put that under the blood of Christ. And I'm going to assume that what you've told me is true, that if I will pledge my, my heart to you, Jesus, 
and give you my life and confess that I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven, I, I, I'm taking you at your word, Jesus, that the sin of abortion can be put as far as the east is from the west. And you can find healing. Don't cover it up. Don't tell the pastor not to talk about it. Deal with it, with God, as you understand truth and find his pleasure and his healing. Before I came up here to, the, to, the, to this pulpit this morning, I went to Brian Warner, who's one of our counselors at Life Center Counseling. And I said, Brian, is it all right with you that if at the end of this service, I say that if there's anyone who has participated in something along that line for which you carry grief and guilt and pain and, and, and it's difficult for you to, to navigate life because of your disappointment in what you may have done. I said that we have people who are willing to pray, our staff, our pastors, and the counselors at our Christian Counseling Center stand ready. He'll be there at the back. He'll, he, he will, he'll tell you how to make an appointment. He will tell you how, how you can get some time or any of our pastors. And we will pray with you and seek God's blessing of healing for your life, that your life can be an example to others who are confused and didn't know what you found out. Number 10, the last one I put was, the church is here to help pregnant women and women who have hurt God's heart through abortion or who are, who are considering it. And that's exactly why I take time out of our service to talk about Embrace Grace. That's why we take time to talk about the Pregnancy Help Center. That's why Brian mentioned that, to support these kinds of things that will come alongside pregnant women who are having to make choices and decisions. And they may not have the knowledge base. And so, so a, a child's life is at stake. And if the church doesn't step up, and if pastors don't step up, God forbid that there are pastors around this country and around the world who are so cowled at someone being offended that we talk about a hard subject here that they don't speak truth. God forbid that the church becomes anemic and spineless and weak need in this day. Can I get an amen on that? This is not condemnatory. This is not about judgment. This is about teaching the love of God for life and God's love for we, all of us. Whose sin is greater than somebody else's sin? Sin is sin, and it's a disappointment to God. And you don't have to have aborted a baby to get in God's corner, and to get sent to God's woodshed. We've all sinned. We've all done it. And that's why, as, as, as Brian opened that up, he said, this, this is about love. This is about healing. This is about forgiveness. This is about acceptance. This is about learning and growing and developing and being purposeful with our witness. And so let me close with this quote. It's another quote from Dr. Sproul. I just loved it. I, I just had to put it in here for you to encourage your hearts. Because some of it, talks about pastors and it talks about people that are in my position of responsibility in churches all around the world. And I quote, but the same Jesus who died for our sins calls on us to suffer the children to come unto him. When we are silent, when we treat abortion as a mere social problem, a mere political issue, we expose our complicity. 
So preach faithfully. Proclaim not the sanctity of life, but the holiness of God, whose image the least of these bear. Call for repentance from the pulpit God placed under your care. Preach the same good news that he preached, that the captive are to be set free, that those marching toward death are to be rescued. Preach and take heart, for Jesus says, such will make you blessed. Walk by faith, preach by faith, in season and out of season, unquote. So you can see that it isn't that I have great courage. It isn't that I have no sensitivity. It's that I, I really don't have a choice. I really don't have a choice. And, and nor do you, who, who call yourself disciples of Jesus Christ. We do not have a choice how to think, how to live in this world according to God's pleasure. He says, deliver those who are being taken away to death, and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? Well, you do know. If you're here and you're listening to this on the internet, or you're here this morning, you do know. If you came from a background in a home that did not teach what this book says, then you've been served. Here's the truth. The best I know how to say it in the little time that I have. And I just want you to know, I say it sometimes timidly, and I don't say it with any kind of, of uh, impudence or, or judgment or, or one-upmanship. Because my sin is as great as any of your sin. But let us not continue to watch our country and to watch our world treat life as it has in many cases. So let me close with some good news. I gave you some statistics. I gave you some facts, and the facts speak. But let me just say this. The average, the average number of abortions in the United States of America has been between 1.4 and 1.5 million per year. Let me tell you this. For millennials, it's 1.2. It's dropped. The millennials, the younger generation that are coming up, are getting it. And they're making some difference. And I trust that our prayers and that our counsel and that, that preachers that are preaching and Sunday school teachers that are teaching and small group leaders that are leading are making some difference through the prayers of God's people around the world because the number is coming down. Isn't that good news? Let's give God praise and glory for the younger generation. Good for you guys. Good for you guys. Let's stand. Let's stand. Now, I know this was a bit of a hard subject, and I already talked to you about that. I don't apologize, but um, I thank you for allowing me to speak it. And I want you to take this good news, and I want you to share it with others. And when you talk about your church, I want you to be able to say, you know, my church isn't a perfect church, but my church is trying to do what God's Word says. It's a good place to be. And so some of you who are looking for a church home, I, I hope that you find this truthfulness and this 
courage to, to speak about these hard subjects as an encouragement to you. And we hope that you'll come back and check us out some more. If there's any way we can help you with that, we'd be glad to do that. Now, mothers and fathers, um, if there's somebody hurting that needs a special touch or a prayer, the prayer room is open. And I know that Brian will be back there and our pastors, our staff are back in the foyer. And if you have any reason to need to pray with someone and you're discouraged about uh, just the past and you need some encouragement, let us pray with you. And for those of you who are experimenting with relationships and you got a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or you're thinking about getting married or all these kinds of things, let these truths be a lesson to you about the sanctity of human life and what God thinks about life. Don't mucky around with the procreative process. Father, help him to hear what I just said. Don't monkey around with the procreative process. Do it God's way and you'll find his blessing. The Father in heaven, help Lakeview uh, to be the kind of light uh, to this community and ultimately to the world through our influence about these things, about the, the, the sanctity of life because it has to do with the holiness of God. You are holy, Father, and we want to please you. We need your help. I pray that you will give us courage to speak truth, and I pray that you will uh, take these truths and, and bury them deeply in the very marrow of the bone of, of our young people who are growing and, and experiencing life. And Lord, help us to continue to put good information in our brains about spir the great spiritual knowledge base so that we can know you better and love you more. And all of God's people said together in the name of Jesus, amen, and praise the Lord. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you next Lord's Day.